0: Bible reading today is taken from Acts 9, 32 through 43. As Peter toured the whole region, he went to visit God's holy people in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been confined to his bed for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Hmm. At once he got up, everyone who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Her life overflowed with good works and compassionate acts on behalf of those in need. About that time, though, she became so ill that she died. After they washed her body, they laid her in an upstairs room. Since Little was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two people to Peter. They urged, please come right away. Peter went with them. Upon his arrival, he was taken to the upstairs room. All the widows stood beside him, crying as they showed the tunics and other clothing Dorcas had made when she was alive. Peter sent everyone out of the room, then knelt and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then he called God's holy people, including the widows, and presented her alive to them. The news spread throughout Joppa, and many put their faith in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with a certain tanner named Simon. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning. I am so glad you're here um, today. And you ever had a rough start to your day? Man, I did this morning. I tell you, have you ever had, like, a, your automatic key thing kind of go crazy and start telling your car to do stuff it's not supposed to do? Like, any time now I get within 30 feet of my car, it automatically turns on, whether I want to or not, you know? Did that ever happen to Anybody? I gotta to see to that, don't I? That's no good. In fact, I'm, I just—I was so scared to handle my keychain that I left it in the car. You know, I mean, I just shut the door and you know, I hope nobody drives off with it. But, you know, and then the rain and then the umbrella didn't work right, and so it was just one thing after another. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go to church today. And God said, You have to. You know, you're the preacher. I said, oh, man, I said, and then, you know, God said, hey, we're going to have some awesome music. It's going to pick you up gonna remind you why you were here. Thank you all. Uh, Every week is awesome. But uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, Sam, I even forgot that I told you I wanted to hear that song one day, one of these Sundays. I appreciate that. The rhythm of surrender, you know, and uh, I'm so glad I'm here. And uh, God reminded me that there'll be some people coming here for free. You know, I get paid to show up, but y'all are here not because you got bribed to be here. And I'm already, I'm already in a much, much better frame of mind. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Sid. Uh, Thank you, George. Thank you for being here. We are a witness to the resurrection. And being a part of the resurrection community means that because of what Christ did on that day, nothing stays down and nothing stays put. And here we are, a great story of a resurrection community where this woman named Tabitha, she probably was a widow herself. And you know, back in the day, widows were folks that they just needed to, you know, depend on charity, depend on others, you know, which is a good thing. But... Tabitha didn't stay down. She, she uh, uh, created a whole industry for these widows who loved her work. She took a needle and a thread and, and she made things. She made beautiful things. And maybe these were things that these other widows could go out and sell and go into business for themselves and make a life for themselves because after the resurrection you can't keep people down. People don't Stay in their place. And then there's this beautiful story about Aeneas, who was a shut in for eight years, hadn't gotten to go to church in eight years, almost maybe forgotten about, but not forgotten about by Peter, who could not be kept down, who told Aeneas to rise up, make your bed. I, I, I make your bed? But he said, make your bed. Get up. Do something. Rise up. Live a higher life. And that's exactly what the resurrected, the risen Christ is calling us to do. To live on a different level. Even when it rains and your umbrella and your keychain don't work. We are called, especially then. Because then when we live out our faith, people know we're not doing it because the wind is just in our sails. That there's a greater reason. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And then all of a sudden, crazy stuff happens because nothing stays in its place after Easter. The Holy Spirit falls on the dirty Gentiles and they start believing that God has a plan for them. The Holy Spirit continues to fall on Peter who is hanging out with a hated Italian Roman officer, a symbol of oppression in that day and converting the very people that his people hated for a long, long time. Y'all, the Holy Spirit was up to something and is up to something. And stories like this, the one of Peter, who can't sit still and who won't stay put, who reaches out and tells Aeneas to get up, who goes to the upper room, the house of a woman who started this church, this disciple, it says in Scripture, named Tabitha or Dorcas, which is the Greek name for that, and it means gazelle. And he lifts up her hand, and he tells her to rise up. You're a part of this uprising. You've got more of life to live. And so she jumps up like a gazelle. Well, What about us? What about us? Well, the stories like this always leave clues about what it means to live a risen life to rise up and that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes today how do you and I how do we live an uprising how might we rise to the occasion and live in a way that witnesses to the risen Christ because that is our job so three quick things just three thoughts about maybe three clues about what this story leaves us about what it means to live a risen life here's the first clue We rise when we discover who we already are. You are already a beloved child of Christ. You are God's beloved. And sometimes with our hard heads, it's hard to theologically get around that, isn't it? We kind of say that, oh, you're a child of God, I'm a child of God. But do we really believe it? Sometimes it's a challenge. Now, when you were a baby and that doctor caught you and gave you to a nurse or whatever, and and, and they put you on your mother's chest, I'm pretty sure your mama didn't say, well, hey, howdy, stranger. I sure hope I like you one day. (laughs) Anybody say that? No. Your mama adored you. The riskiest thing in this world today, the riskiest thing you can do is to have a child. Did you know that? Now... Here it's better. Here it's, it's better in North America. But in most places, the most dangerous thing a woman can do in this world is to deliver a baby. And after those life-threatening moments, somebody adored you. Now, some of you may have been adopted, but I guarantee you the same thing happened. Whatever circumstances led you to where God had you to be, somebody loved you and adored you. They didn't go, I sure hope this little baby starts producing, doing something around the house. I mean, I hope, no, no. And the first rule of living an uprising, a life that is, uh, that is risen, is to know that you've been given unconditional love by the risen Christ. Now, we can't go anywhere else until, until we go there. You, you can't go anywhere else. So if you start anywhere else with conditional love or I've got to earn it, then you're going to be in, in trouble. And that's what took hard-headed Peter to learn. I think we all forget that after a while, don't we? We, we? we get pulled into this world and I've got to please this, I've got to do that, I've got to produce, I've got to get this degree, I've got to take this career to make other people happy. And then finally, one day, hopefully, when we see the light, we realize that that's really not the case. Those are lies maybe we've been telling ourselves Peter said, "I got to get out of the boat and start walking on water. Maybe Jesus will love me more." And so he starts. Right? What does he do? He sinks like a rock. I've got to be the one to answer the question. "Who am I?" asked Jesus. "Oh, you're the Christ." See, even when he gets it right, sometimes Peter gets it wrong because he feels like he's got to be the one that says something or takes over or 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 decides something. Our job is not to ace the test. And maybe maybe Peter thought Jesus was like it was a pass-fail thing you know? That's not how discipleship works. Even when we fail, we are loved by God, especially when we fail. God got it, Peter got it wrong in so many ways, but after the resurrection, he finally got it right. He didn't have to carry the world on his shoulders. Now, I meet people like that, especially Christians. Have you ever met people like that? Always got to be fixing the world, right? Julie and Susan and David uh, and, and others will um, be headed off to annual conference. And, man, some of those preachers are going to look all beat up. You know, been a tough year, Bruce. Well, what happened? Well, just this, this. And they'll have a long laundry list of things they couldn't fix. As if their job was to fix people or things. Hey, y'all, that's God's job. That's not our job. I don't care if you're a preacher, a lay leader, or sitting in the pew here. Once we realize we're not out to fix other people, we are set free to do work out of joy, not out of compulsion. And it's a totally different life, and it's a much higher level of living that we've been called to live. What God needs is not our ability or our sociability, or our adaptability, or our compatibility, or even our reliability. God wants only our availability. How available are we to God? That's what God's looking for. God's not looking for the best and the brightest. God's looking for the first available, you know? Just give me the first available. Who wants to be a part of this risen life? God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And once you are called and respond, you will have, you'll discover that you are everything you need to be and you have everything you need. Peter learned to be available. And that's when the miracle started, made all the difference. The pressure is not on you. There is no pressure. The only pressure on us is the pressure we create Ourselves. So we rise when we discover who we already are. When Peter goes to Aeneas and sees him on the mat, he doesn't say, I raise you, get off your mat. He said, Jesus Christ raises you. Because that's none of Peter's business. That's God's work. Peter is the messenger. God is doing the miracle. When Peter approaches Tabitha, this amazing woman that was living the resurrection life surely, and she died, and these widows were... It was like a fashion show. Look what she made me! Look what she made us! This is what we get to... Peter says, okay, y'all, let's, um, I, I, let me spend some time in prayer before I do this. Peter prayed. What was he mimicking? What was he, who was he uh, imitating? He was imitating Jesus Christ, who in Matthew 5 does the same thing, raising a girl... But Peter was connecting with his source. Because Peter knew the pressure's not on him. We see all these teams all the time. What do the great ones do? What do the great athletes do? They know. some, Some folks are just good in the clutch, you know. There's always somebody on the team that wants the ball with the clock ticking, right? And why is that? It's because they've learned how to deflect the pressure that most people put on themselves, and they just let loose and they play. Oh, my, what we might could do if we let go of the pressure that we put on ourselves. What's so interesting about Peter is that, you know, so, for so many years it was all about Peter this, Peter that. He said this. He got out of the boat. He did this. He stuck his foot in his mouth. He did, I will never leave you, Jesus. All this big bra- braggadocious stuff, Right? Well, in Acts, we're in Acts 9 here, right? By Acts 12, Peter disappears in the book of Acts. No more Peter after Acts 12. Almost like John the Baptist when he said, May Jesus increase while I decrease. And in Acts, it was, Hey, Paul, you take it from here. I'm backing off. I've done my work. You know... It's even wise to know when to step back and just relax and know that other people can take it. Now, I'm not saying be complacent. I'm not saying do nothing. But oh my, how Peter has grown because he's lived the risen life. He knows it's about God, it's not about him. It's about the risen Christ, it's not about him. We rise when we discover who we already are. Second, we rise when we discover the people we're already with. That's another power of already. That's what I learned this morning. Had a tough morning. Had keychain problems. But I show up here and realize that it's not all on me. Every miracle that we're a part of, we get to share in. Everybody gets a piece of it. Look at what happened when George read this beautiful story too. It's a wild and wacky story, but it involves a lot of people. It took Peter moving around, being available, being ready... It took two messengers. The disciples figured out in a nearby town. They sent two messengers. They had to make the long walk to tell Peter they need their help. It took some widows who were there sharing Tabitha's beautiful works of art. It It takes a village to work a miracle. It always has and always was. It takes a community to help remind people that they don't, have to stay put in life. They don't have to stay down. You can rise up to live a different kind of life. It takes a whole group. Each of us gets to take part in the miracle, and that's the point of it. We are constantly working together for the glory of God. Every prayer blanket that is knitted, every mission trip that's Going on, every volunteer who's getting rained on in North Alabama because they love our youth, they're part of it, right? It takes all of us because the resurrection is a shared thing. It's a shared thing. Each of us gets to take it. The risen life is a shared life. We rise when we discover the people we are already with. Look around. These are the people you're sharing the resurrection with, week in and week out, with every chance we have to serve and to share, with every potluck dinner you have at somebody's house. It is like one big casserole that we're all taking together, and God does something awesome with it. Third point, we rise when we discover what we already have, the power of the already. You've already got everything you need thanks to the risen Christ. Peter knew he had all he needed. He didn't fret, didn't wonder what was going to happen when we walked up. He knew that God was going to give him everything he needed. He'd seen with his own eyes what Jesus did. And he knew that it was going to work out exactly the way God needed it to. The widows showed uh, Peter what they had. These were beautiful works by Tabitha. The house, Tabitha's, must have been used as a house church. In other words, Tabitha was using what she had to share in the resurrected life. She must have been a woman of means. She was a woman of hope. She just used what she had. Nothing more, nothing less. Here's a quote by Jen Carson, which I love. What's in your hand... The Lord asked Moses long ago. Moses answered a rod. Go and work with that, God said, and you will be my servant. If God had asked Tabitha the same question, Jen continues to write, She would have replied, A needle and a thread, Lord. Then God would have shown her how these were precisely the instruments with which she could serve him every sunday every sunday is a part of our worship i know a lot of churches have stopped doing this but we pass a plate or a basket right we pass a plate it's offertory now i don't get i don't know about you but i don't get paid every week Do you, does anybody get paid every week some of you get paid maybe quarterly or, or maybe once a month, you know. And, and I've had people say, Oh, but Bruce, I'm so uncomfortable when the plate passes. But do you, anybody ever get uncomfortable when the plate passes, passes by and it's just maybe not your week to throw something in there? Anybody? Really? Nobody does? Okay, never mind. Okay, good. We got one. You know, here, here's what I want you to know um, Don't ever feel bad if, you, if it's not your Sunday to put something in the plate. And when it's, when it's not your time to maybe put something out of your wallet or your checkbook in the plate, as you pass the plate, say a prayer. God, I hope my offering to you this week of time, of love and grace, I hope the work that I did this week was an offering to you. Please accept it and bless it. Because these plates and these baskets don't just take up what's in our wallet. Although that's important. I don't want to let anybody off the hook. where We all need to do our best financially as well and make it a priority. But what I'm saying is there are lots of ways to give to God. And God receives all of our offering. You have enough time. You have enough resources. You have enough talent to make a difference in this world and to live a risen life There's this great poem. Stephen Sizer writes this. Here's his poem. "'What do you do for Christ each day?' a faithful Christian said. And I replied, "'I drive a truck and fill the stores with bread.' He said, "'I know of your bread route, "'but that is not the thing. "'I mean, what do you do each day "'for Jesus Christ the King?' I said, "'But I believe a man can work in such a way.' that selling bread is work for Christ, a sacrament each day. Once more, the man inquired, But sir, if this is not unfair, what do you do for Christ each day, like witnessing in prayer? I said, work is my best witness, and selling bread to them is like a prayer in Jesus' name. I drive a truck for him. What's your staff? What's your needle and thread? What do you offer to God? What do you have in your hands this morning? If God could use something as simple as a staff and a needle and a thread, imagine what God can do with what you have. What gifts has God entrusted to you? What is the risen Christ calling you to do with him? see, Tabitha began a movement with a needle and with a thread. And this story has inspired men and women all the years since then to think about what we have. Want to live a risen life? Rediscover who you already are. Rediscover the people you already have. And rediscover the resources God has already given you. That's what makes an Easter. That's what will make your life rise up. You were loved since the day you were born. This is about unconditional love. And this is what Easter is all about. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for the rain that's coming down. Lord, it's, we look at it sometimes as a challenge, but what we don't realize is, or what we forget is that your rain nurtures the earth, makes the spring green, helps our vegetation, cuts down on the pollen, <laughs> and reminds us of your love that has rained down upon us. God, help us to live a higher life a risen life, an Easter life. And may we know that the staff in our hand, that the needle and thread can do awesome things when we put them in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen.